Welcome to the Lola Community Podcast. In this podcast, we will have questions, quotes, and conversations between different people, and your host will be Pleasant Selecki. Thank you. I hope you enjoy it. Hi, guys. It's Pleasant. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. It's really such a blessing and such a wonderful part of um, our community and the work to be able to do this with you. If you love our podcast, I'd appreciate if you would share it with a friend, write a review, share on social, um, really helping us spread the messages and the wisdom and the teachings of our lovely, beautiful, authentic community. You can also support the podcast financially right here on the Anchor app or in iTunes, and you can leave me a voice message. I'd love to hear your voice. Chime in, give me a comment or a question. Send our guests um, a question. Send Sailor for her meditations a question or a comment or feedback. We love, love, love hearing from you. Thanks so much for all your support. And uh, Om Shanti, peace to you all. Yay. Hi, Jen. Hi, Pleasance. It's um, good to see you. It's amazing to be with you, although I wish it was in real life, which is my preferred method of being with amazing women and humans, but hopefully again soon. Um, but we know each other from the kids yoga world mm-hmm. and from the kids yoga conference, which was five years oh old gosh. this past year. So we've known each other for that longer than that now. And, um, one of the things, one of the reasons that I asked you to come on and have this conversation is you are a, uh, an expert in anxiety and in mindfulness for kids and families. And I don't actually know. Are you, a, you're not a therapist, are you? Are no, you no, I'm yeah. not. Yeah. No. Most of my experience with therapy is being in it. Yeah, totally. totally. <laughs> no, but I just oh, joking aside, I, I, <laughs> lot of therapists and I teach continuing education courses um, for yeah. therapists. So I've, uh, I've learned a lot in that sort of Yeah. Work. But I like to have these different lenses and these different views because where we come from philosophically mm-hmm. really does make a difference. And then how we're seeing what's happening with this, um, you know, some people will say disease, some people will say disorder, some people will say superpower. Mm-hmm. And it depends on where you're coming from. So give us a little bit of your background and history professionally and how you came to this work and this current online class that you're running. Yeah, absolutely. So um, my background is in education. My master's degree is in education. I thought I was going to make a life working in education. Same, same. Um, <laughs> like many people. Um, and I sort of have, but um, I took a detour about um, – 14 years ago, I was teaching, um, I was actually working um, in the children's program of a domestic violence shelter. That was before I finished my master's and before I started working in schools. And that was the beginning of um, practicing and teaching yoga and mindfulness with kids for me. So at the time, um, I was living in a pretty um, isolated small town out west. Uh, It was really far away from friends and family. My personal practice was kind of at the height of um, the height of where it needed to be for me to kind of deal with a lot of things in my life that had happened when I was younger. I was really like moving into a new stage of my life and my personal practice was helping me a lot with it. And I was also working with these kids who had all been survivors of and um, witnesses to severe domestic abuse. Mm -hmm. And I mean, in a way, I was just hanging out with them while their parents, their mothers really were in therapy. Mm -hmm. And it was kind of the most natural thing in the world for me to start sharing these practices with them. Mm -hmm. And it resonated so much. It built the relationship between us Mm -hmm. um, in such a powerful way that it just really planted the seed. And then I came back to New York. Um, I started, I finished my master's and started working um, as a teacher for Harlem Children's Zone. Mm-hmm. And I was teaching kindergartners. And, you know, every minute that we weren't doing like what we really needed to do, we were doing yoga, we were practicing mindfulness, we were integrating movement into every aspect of our day together. And 
it took about a year for me to say, this is what I want to do. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm just, uh, I'm pivoting. And um, like a year later in 2006, I started Little Flower Yoga and I've been doing that full time ever since. So what I, what I do primarily, and, mm -hmm. and we, um, we do a lot, but what we do is we work with schools. We kind of, you know, we started very focused, really doing direct service work, teaching kids during the school day. Um, and that has expanded and grown and, and transformed um, into a program that really supports kids um, and families much more comprehensively. So we still do direct service work in schools, um, but we do a tremendous amount of professional development for classroom teachers, um, for school-based mental health care providers, um, for marriage and family therapists, social workers, psychotherapists. Um, and we've also expanded our family engagement programming and, and created a lot of resources specifically for families. Um, because of course, the more time you spend with kids, especially kids who are really um, struggling, the less you can separate the various parts of their life. Right? So at every step of the way, um, once we start making progress in one domain, um, we immediately look to like, how can we improve this? How can we help this kid more? How can we um, expand services? You know, it's, it's really, we, we try to, as much as possible in our small way, um, offer resources and support mm -hmm. um, that kind of wrap the kid um, mm -hmm. with adults who are connected enough to their own selves to be um, steady sources of support. And once we do that, we look at how we can share those um, resources and tools with the kids. And so you're that's kind York of City the background. Schools, right? You're still in New York City schools? <laughs> yes. So we work with um, New York City schools. We work for the New York City Department of Education directly. Um, we do large trainings directly for the DOE. Yeah. I think we worked with about 45 schools this year yeah. um, doing direct service work. And we also have a, um, a children's yoga certification program. Yeah. So people from any walk of life, parents, yoga teachers, um, clinicians can come and get certified to teach um, through our training program. And then when did, the, when did, the, when did you feel the need to yeah. start an online program around anxiety? Yeah, that's... Um, <laughs> That's a great question. So it's been a rising need, like the rising tide yeah. of anxiety in our culture. Yeah. Um, you know, my, my background is strongly working with kids who've experienced trauma. Yeah. And, you know, I, I work a lot through um, a lens that focuses on healing, um, empowerment, helping kids find a sense of agency in their life. And, you know, what I've been seeing over the last, you know, now 12, 14 years of doing this is that all of the things that used to be um, the things that I really like, the, the sort of the heavy hitting tools that I would pull out and, and lean on to work with kids who had experienced trauma were becoming more and more necessary for like, mm -hmm the vast Everybody. majority of kids. And yeah. I, you know, I don't want to jump to the conclusion of like, all our kids are traumatized. Um, but we, we have seen, I think, undeniably over the last decade or so, decade and a half, a huge increase in childhood stressors, in childhood anxiety, in um, sort of a, a low level um, systemic, <laughs> trauma that that our kids are experiencing as our culture is experiencing a trauma um, and that combined with the technology use and what I see as as a real um, problem of overstimulation and disconnection which maybe we can talk about a little more yeah um, has created a situation where every year as we're working with our kids, we're seeing that if we don't really address this, um, it, it, we can't get anywhere else, right? We have to help our kids manage this anxiety that is coming from so many different parts of their life, but is magnified by the overstimulation and disconnection. Um, and, and those tools that used to be so, um, so embedded in my trauma work have now kind of pulled through to, to much of my work around anxiety. Um, and we just started this online course. This is something I've been teaching on live for a long time. Mm -hmm. um, but this is the first time we're running this um, 
particular online course mm -hmm. exploring anxiety in children and adolescents. And it's just a, um, I'm happy to be doing it. I, I think it's something that people want and need and seem to be getting a lot out of. At the same time, I'm sort of um, sad that I'm relying on technology to talk about something. While in the course itself, I'm talking about the disconnection that technology creates. <laughs> like, oh man, this is, this is rough. I know. Uh, but I think we all just need to find, you know, new ways of meeting our needs in a changing world. And that's what we need to do for our kids. And much of my work with the kids around anxiety focuses on the idea of building a strong sense of personal power um, and also recognizing when these sort of dual factors of overstimulation and disconnection are actually magnifying the stressors, magnifying the worries um, to a point where they don't feel manageable anymore. So I always talk to the kids about the idea that you know, anxiety is not what's happening, right? The problem is not anxiety. Anxiety is our experience of whatever the challenging thing is. And if we feel like we don't have the inner resources to meet that challenge, it's so easy to become overwhelmed by it. Yeah. And the work that we do together, of course, we look at um, things like, you know, grounding and orienting and reducing input and um, managing rumination and intrusive thoughts, but all those things I kind of think of as like the, the triage, right? Like the, the sort of the moment by moment tools, whereas the longer, um, more important work, I think, um, and the, the work that has the trajectory to really make a difference long-term in a kid's life is the work of shoring up that kid's sense of personal power, of agency, of their identity as someone who's um, an active participant in their own life, right? Not just the receiver of stuff happening to them. And we explore yeah. this idea that we all have inner resources. We talk about those inner resources as the resources of our body, our breath, and our mindset. And then we also have the resource of community. And when we do anxiety work here with kids, we're looking at those four things, right? How can I access the resources of my body, my breath, my mindset, and how do I access the resource of community? Because we all exist in community, but that doesn't mean we know how to use that community yeah. as a resource. Right? So we actively explore the idea with kids of what does it mean to ask for help? What does it mean to be a helper? Right? And, and the ways that we can actually reduce our own anxiety by being the helper, because being the helper sends a really powerful message to our mind about our own competence. And so that's kind of the framework that I'm, I'm working in and everything, everything stems from there. And just to be clear, yeah. friends who are listening, who don't have children, this is for all humans. Oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is what I love. This is what gets me. This is what mm -hmm. I just laugh out loud about right now is like, you know, I read the yes brain mm -hmm. and I'm like literally highlighting, circling things. Cause I'm like, this, is what my adult client says, this, what my adult client, this, <laughs> this, where my woman's yeah. at. Like, I'm just like laughing out loud. Cause I'm like, the yes brain is not for parents and educators. The yes brain is for humans. It's all of it. It's it, all of it. There's so much overlap. And, and so just women from Lola or from our community who are listening, accessing your body, your breath, your mindset, and your community in your own life, in your own life. Like mm -hmm. that is such a powerful tool yeah. because one of the things I've noticed is that, um, and this happens in our community and our online forum is someone will put like, you know, I just, I just really want to know. And I love, I mean, big hearts, everyone's trying to help. Mm -hmm. There's no judgment. It's just how we communicate about it is we're often like, you know, ready with the pen and paper to take notes about helping someone else, yeah. but we haven't done the work to integrate in our own life yeah. so that our own inner navigation system can help the human in need from a place of abundance because we have integrated. Absolutely. And that just is magnified tenfold when you talk about kids, because yeah. kids, I mean, anxiety travels in families, first of all, you know, <laughs> our kids look to us um, yeah. to figure out what's scary and what's not, right? And they are so attuned to our nervous systems, they're so attuned to our emotional state, they get information about whether or not they should be freaked out from whether or not we're freaked out. Mm. So, I mean, it's such a huge piece for um 
adults who are the leaders of children, whether that's in a family, in a school, in a clinical setting, in a community setting, as a coach, whatever it is, you know, if we really want to help our kids, it's almost a cliche, right? But if we want to help our kids, we got to help ourselves. And it's not just because they need an example. It's because they take their clues about what's safe and what's not from our energetic and emotional state. So if we can't manage our own nervous system, then we're actually potentially inadvertently giving them false information, information that something is threatening or scary or dangerous when it's not. It's just kind of overwhelming us at the moment. And so I, that's Do you know anything work. or how do you talk at all? This is, I've not thought about this at all, but I'm, I'm just kind of processing this while listening to you. What about the subconscious? Okay. So basically what I'm going through in my mind is that I can hear what you're saying and I totally agree with you. Mm -hmm. And I know a lot of the women in our community and my own child included, I have one kiddo um, who I'm learning more information about who's definitely suffering right now. And it's, it's not conscious. Yeah. I mean, we're not talking about parents who are freaking out and trying Mm -hmm. to download that to their kiddo. Mm -hmm. Consciously, they are trying to make things better. They are doing all the things. They're reading all the books. They're talking to the therapist. They're talking to their friends. So do you know anything about the subconscious transmission? I mean, is that the energy and emotional part that you think is happening? Yeah. It's such a great question. And it, you know, even as I'm listening to you ask the question, I'm like, oh, she's making a to-do list, right? Like you're reading the book, you're talking to the therapist. You're like, you know, it. I think when Downloading we work so hard, you know, honestly, I know it's like, I keep saying it, but it's the mantra, like when there's rising anxiety, whether it's in a kid or an adult, the first two things I'm always looking at is reduce stimulation, increase connection. Mm-hmm. Right? And, and I have yeah. to remind myself that with my own kid and yeah. my, my, both of my kids really, um, although one struggles more with anxiety, <laughs> but it's, it, you know, I want to address your question about the subconscious, but before I get there, you know, it's, it's really important for us to remember that if we're engaging with the anxiety of our child as a problem that we're trying to fix, there's a good chance that in the process, we're a little disconnected and a little overstimulated, right? Like we're looking for resources, we're watching videos, we're reading books, and then we're testing shit, right? That doesn't necessarily feel authentic to us. And then our kids are the recipients of this like sort of round robin experiment of different strategies instead of the recipient of like having fun with their mom or guardian or person, mm-hmm. right? So for me, I always am like, I need to stop reading this book and play with my kid. And I know it's so <laughs> simple. It's so like obvious that it's like almost silly to say it, but yeah, reducing stimulation and increasing connection for us, right? So the more we're trying to learn and, I, and I'm not, look, I'm nerdy like that. I want to read all the books. I know. I want to watch all of it. I, I want know. To I love it. But it's also a distraction. Yeah. Right. It's also a way of making myself feel better. Like feel like I'm doing something something. about this when I'm not. I'm doing something that's easy for me to do. Right. It's easy for me to read a book. It's easy for me to lose myself in a course. It's easy for me to engage intellectually with what is an emotional human experience. Mm. And so for me, and also I don't want to send my kid the message that something that's a part of her um, needs to be gotten rid of, right? So often I I talk with adults about this idea that when our kids experience anxiety, a lot of times our default is to have an attitude of like, well, the anxiety is the problem. We have to get rid of it, right? But anxiety is just an emotional experience like any other, right? It's an embodied emotional experience that has the potential to be functional, that can give us information, that can send us messages. Um, You know, I often say anxiety is your body's way of saying, hey, something important to you is at stake and you're nervous about your ability to, to handle it or to meet it, right? When we 
think of anxiety as like, I got to get rid of this anxiety. It's the problem. We lose the ability to, to read our anxiety, to exist with it, to say, what is this anxiety trying to tell me? Mm -hmm. And sometimes that means we aren't um, giving something important to us its fair share of attention. Right? And I always think about like, can I shift that for myself with the other adults I work with and ultimately for my kids, can I shift that to more of an attitude like, Anxiety's got something important to tell me. This is a message that something important to me is happening or is at stake here. And I need to, to figure it out, right? Maybe this anxiety needs me to gather more information. Maybe this anxiety is telling me um, to, to get my A game on, right? Maybe this anxiety is saying you need more preparation. You're not ready for this thing that's coming. Um, maybe anxiety is just a memory and it's, it's coming to say like, you haven't really dealt with this thing from the past. You should give it some attention, look it in the face, you know, figure out how to move forward from it, but also remind your nervous system that you're safe right now, right? Like anxiety could be asking us a lot of different things and in asking us those things, it's, it's giving us an offering, right? An opportunity to manage something or prepare for something or confront something or resolve something. But if we focus on trying to get rid of the anxiety, then we miss the opportunity to receive it and gather information from it. So and with it, yeah. adults, <clears throat> sorry, I didn't mean to. Um, no, that's was like, With adults, I try to say like, what's your mindset like what's your mental narrative you know for me i want my kid to experience it as something like i see your anxiety i know how hard it is for you it may have something important to tell you let's figure it out together right i'm here with you and i know you're strong enough to deal with this but at the same time you're not in it alone right? i'm not going to leave you here to deal with it alone but you are strong enough to deal with this right so yeah. I'm not yeah. sure if I answered your question. Yeah, no, totally. And I think, and I think that it's like, you know, I picture my son when he's, I think it's, and I think, I think knowing the human that you're working with also, cause there's going to be more times when he's going to be able to hear that mm -hmm. than when he's in a red state or a red zone or just totally freaking out and he can't hear and he can't absorb and he can't listen. It's not the time for me to sit down and say, yeah okay, buddy, let's blah, blah. Like the, my little teacher it's, voice, my kindergarten teacher voice kicks in. I know the feeling. I try to fix it. And but then it, I just learn to walk away because yeah. he settles that regulation eventually. And you know, what's really interesting too, is like, because I've been practicing this now that he's seven and a half for a few yeah. more years, like, you know, is that like now I can see that it's happening. I can feel the rise and I will tend to like either let him storm out or I'll just kind of slowly walk away. I don't like to like turn my back and walk mm -hmm. away, but I just kind of move away. And then his reaction time is smaller, meaning when he then comes and crawls in my lap, yeah, where it used to be maybe half an hour between experience and like, Settle. because then he feels terror. He gets flooded with shame that it happened. Yeah. So there's and this shame opportunity. Is such a sucker of personal power. Yeah. <laughs> right? And so it's all internal. This is not, he's not learning this. No. This is not stuff I'm saying to him. This is not, you know, I know. anyway, it, it just, for some of these kids, it's just literally, he was, I've seen this happen when he was two, he'd stand in a corner. He, his inner critic is so loud. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So then this morning he, it happened. It happens about once a day. It used to happen about 500 times a day. So once a day, I'm, it's Pretty much good. better. Yeah. Um, but he happened, he stormed out. And then it was literally not even five minutes later, he mm -hmm. came down with like a monopoly game and was like, want to play? So it's like connection relationship. And there, and it's like duct tape. Like I say nothing mm -hmm. almost. And then once Absolutely. we're playing, I'm like, buddy, I just want you to know how much I love you. And I know you can handle, you know, I just try to yeah. sneak in little things once we're in that better space. Yeah. But I also think everything you're saying is so true. And I, you know, I want to make sure it's clear that I'm not saying you should say all these words to your kids about totally. their anxiety. Totally. I mean, sometimes maybe some yeah. kids are ready. Yeah. It's more about your intention. Yeah. Right? Our intention, like what we're saying to ourselves, what's in our heart, because they get the messaging that we're giving to ourselves, whether we use the words or not. Right. So for me, it's not always about like with my daughter, it's not like, 
your anxiety has something important to tell you. You're strong enough to handle it. It's more me telling myself your anxiety has something to tell her, right? This is not a crisis. This is information. And I remind myself she's strong enough to handle it so that my actions reflect. Because if I'm not confident in her inner strength, then I'm sending her messages through my actions that I don't think she can handle this, right? If I'm jumping in there to fix everything and do everything and what's the problem and let, right? Then I don't want to accidentally send her the message that I don't think she's strong enough to handle it, right? So it's it's my inner narrative. Every once in a while, bits and pieces of that get shared verbally, but it's more about how my actions and my emotions are conveying my own inner belief about her, yeah. right? That's going to send her the messages about who she is. And p- please, I, I don't pretend to have this like down pat, right? And, and I'm also constantly an reminding me, oh, check, got that box, parenting done for the day, right? No. But for me, one of the things I have to remind myself all the time as a parent is just because I'm engaging with her anxiety in a way that I, I truly believe is beneficial doesn't mean it's going to go away. Totally. So it's like, I'm not measuring success based on how much anxiety she's experiencing, right? I'm measuring success based on the quality of our relationship, um, the strength of her character and her um, self-awareness during times that she's not consumed by anxiety, right? So like, we're looking, I'm I'm looking at the (laughs) long-term, the long-term goals here. And it's really easy for me to get kind of down on myself and think, you know, with my daughter, with my students, think like, well, I'm doing everything right, but this anxiety just, anxiety is information and the world is really hard. And, you know, when, if I want to reduce her experience of anxiety, the best thing I can do is reduce stimulation and increase connection, right? Everything beyond that is outside of my hands, except in as much as we work on um, building her sense of personal power, right? For the long haul. And um, we explore simple strategies, body-based practices, breathwork practices um, that can help her in the moment when I'm not around, especially, or when she doesn't feel like she has that really secure, grounded connection with an adult, right? So things that she can do um, with her friends or at school when, you know, the environment is a little trickier for her to navigate. Um, But for the most part, my, what I see is my greatest contribution to her learning to manage her anxiety um, is giving her um, the the sort of the protection, the like parental protection of reducing stimulation even when she doesn't want it reduced, right? So her mind can handle whatever it is that's coming up um, and increasing our relationship strength mm-hmm. so that when she's ready to talk about it, she feels 100% safe to do so. When you, I've heard you say personal power yeah. a number of times. What does that mean and what does that look like for you and how you define it and work with your students? Yeah. So for me, it's pretty specific, right? Is the, um, the idea of having personal power is the idea of um, knowing in your gut that you have the ability to um, impact your own life, right? So a lot of our kids are walking through the world basically assuming that, you know, input comes in, they react to it, and that's their life right? Their life is basically defined by the stuff that happens to them. Um, Their mom's having a bad day, so they're having a bad day, right? Like that kind of thing. The input comes in, the action comes out, and my life is basically determined by the input. I think a lot of adults are walking around on that kind of default assumption too. And when I think about building a sense of personal power in kids, I'm thinking about a couple of things. One is, do they believe that they can have agency in their own life? Mm -hmm. That their actions, um, that their mindset, that what they do with their own body, breath, and mind can change their internal experience, even if the external circumstances don't change, right? So we do a lot of exploration around like, Compare and contrast, right? Doing different things with our body, different things with our breath, so that the kids can see for themselves, right, with their own experience, um, what it feels like to have a different felt sense of the same situation, 
Mm -hmm. right? So we're not saying like you can make everything better with yoga and mindfulness or just change your mindset and you'll be happy, right? That's not the point. But the point is having a sense of agency in your life means that you have an impact on your felt experience of the same environment, mm -hmm. right? We can't always change the outside. What does it mean to use our resources um, to shift our own experience? Um, we also, like I mentioned earlier, I do a lot of exploring around the idea of being a helper, whether it's in partner or group yoga or like doing something, just doing a favor for somebody, right? Because we, what I um, have found is that in our culture, um, there's a lot of like mindset intervention around yes. anxiety and yeah. it, it makes sense, right? But for kids, a mindset shift is the hardest, right? So like there's, there's basically, there's three parts of anxiety. There's what you feel, there's what you think, and there's what you do, right? So there's like what you feel in your body, there's what you think in your mind, and there's your actions, your behavior, which is really tied to your nervous system, mm -hmm. right? And I think a lot of um, psychotherapy-based interventions, some of which I've benefited from, mm -hmm. um, start with the mind, right? And it's a top-down intervention. Um, but working with kids, what I've come to learn intimately is that um, those three things, there's, there's no like direction of communication here, right? Those three things, the body, the mind, the nervous system, talk to each other in every direction. Yeah. Right? So if we want to change a mindset for a kid, often the best way to do it is by shifting their felt experience in their body. Right? or changing what they do, changing an action. Because when your body feels powerful, say you do something that's hard, right? Warrior poses, engaging your muscles or power poses where you get, you get big, right? And, and you engage, your body sends a message to your mind about your own competence, mm -hmm. right? About your own capacity. Right? And that is a sort of top, a bottom up mindset intervention mm -hmm. for a kid. When we help a kid find a way to um, act as an agent in someone else's life, right, to help another person, right, the, the power of being the helper is not just like, oh, I feel good about myself. It's also like if I'm capable of helping someone else, that sends undeniable proof to my mind that I have capacity, right, that I have agency, so I, I often focus on the body and the actions first, the like what I feel and what I do. And then as kids start to um, explore that for themselves, they start to feel the difference for themselves, then we can get to the mindset intervention and be a little bit more specific around mm -hmm. noticing what kind of thoughts we're having, um, actively working to um, manage and navigate intrusive thoughts, um, mm -hmm. things like self-talk. Right, like all of that can work with kids, but in my experience, it works better um, when we start with the body and or the actions. Yeah. Right, so they have some um, they have some concrete, like undeniable proof in their mind already, and in you know sometimes yeah. self talk can sound like a whole lot of bullshit, right? But if they yeah. have proven to their mind that they yeah. have some capacity, then these things like that they take on a little bit more meaning. So well, when I, I, it's a very long way of answering your yeah, question. Yeah. But when I yeah. talk about personal power, it's like that undeniable gut feeling mm -hmm. that I am an agent in my own life. Mm -hmm. I, and when we stop feeling like we have agency in our own life, it's very um, easy to be pulled under by the world, right? Because there's a lot that's hard and there's always going to be, right? There's just so much heartache and so much grief and so much fear that if we don't know in our gut that we can impact our own experience, um, it, it's almost impossible to see how we can have a meaningful life. Even when things are like kind of okay, yes. <laughs> you know, much less for kids who are really experiencing serious trauma. Totally. And also what I'm sort of like connecting the dots to is the noise that's in our lives and the disconnect to personal power or I think what I what we call it in Lola is intuition mm -hmm. in a lot of ways also. Yeah. And when you look through the lens that we all um, have basic goodness and that our body really is a magical place mm -hmm. and space for healing and wholeness and guidance, when we get quiet and listen and from the embodiment standpoint, mm -hmm. then more of that sort of 
um, tapping into natural intuition mm-hmm. and guidance and magic and power can happen. Absolutely. So last week, Sailor uh, just started a mindfulness club at school um, for the fifth grade because she just felt like they had no breaks during the day. They were going back to back to back to back to back. It was super funny because she what she wanted to write a letter to the principal to say, we really need a mindfulness club. I will lead it. My mom will, my mom will just chaperone it, you know, as an adult in the room, but I want a space for my friends to just sit and breathe in between classes in the middle of the day. And I told her she had to have research for her letter to the principal. So we called Lisa Flynn and, and got like quotes from Lisa. It was hilarious. It was like pulling together all the resources. I like held up Lisa's book, which I happen to have for, I, for something else. And I was like, you can talk to the author of this book. She's my friend. And she's yeah. like, oh, that's amazing. But going through the research and sort of proving. So we've got this mindfulness club. And last week was the first session. And they did a lot of talking and sharing. And then Mm -hmm. for the last few minutes, they did three minutes of breathing. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the three minutes of the breathing and just sitting in the dark kind of quietly, the kids, you could, the whole, everything had dropped. Mm -hmm. And the kids were like, oh, I feel tired and I feel relaxed and I feel calm. And what I noticed was there was still so much chatter and, and, talking in the beginning, the first half of the half an hour, you know, that they were checking in, but the real shift in the nervous system did not, was so visible after the three minutes of breathing. And Sailor and I talked about it after I said, what did you notice? You know, like, did you see a difference between the breathing versus the talking exercises? And I'm not saying that talking is bad. I'm just saying when we give the, when we take the time to have access to the body, and relax and have silence. And the last, I'm doing a bunch of podcast recording today. And the last one, the woman, she was like, hold on, put it on pause or edit it. Cause I have to go get my book. And I said, it's okay. We could just sit quietly. People can be bored for a minute. This is where we can practice. So it's, it's these so micro mo- movements. Yeah. And I wonder, you know, with Sailor and, and that experience, and this is just an open question too. Totally. Like, I wonder if they hadn't have had that half an hour or whatever it was of talking, would that three minutes of breath work have been as powerful? Yeah. Right? You know, cause they also might've really needed to discharge, right? Totally. Connect with each other and, and do whatever it is that they accomplished through that interaction. They might've really needed that in order to feel safe enough in the space together to do this quieter practice. And so I, yeah, I, love know, I completely agree with you. Yeah. And I also just, want to keep everything in its sort of proper place that, you know, there's so many different ways that we meet our own needs. And it's really frustrating for me sometimes to remember just how radically different all kids are, both in their experience and just the core of who they come out as. Um, You know, I I definitely am sort of an academic person who likes to say like, this is what works. Yeah. And you know, that's just not luck with that. Yeah. (laughs) It's just not human. Right. So I'm always like, okay, well, Mm -hmm. you know, if 10 things happened in this half an hour, Mm -hmm. right it's possible that all 10 of those things had to happen for this like beautiful outcome. And, you know, I try to create some ease around the practices where I really, I I try to connect to my intention, you know, and, and if the idea is for the kids to build a a greater sense of self-awareness and embodiment and um, a deeper capacity to relate to each other in community. um, I try to stay open to the, reality that there are a lot of different ways that can happen. Totally. Um, I happen to have expertise in some of them, yeah. um, but when the ones that I'm not as um, familiar with or the ones that I'm not as in control of um, sort of come into the space, I really try to like hang back and watch and, mm-hmm. and say, as long as we're, you know, kind of moving in the direction of the intention, yeah. then, then I, I don't, who am I to say like how all these pieces are working together. And I also know, um, yeah. That safety in community yeah. is such an essential part of doing any sort of healing work. Yeah. Um, that whatever gets us to that sense of safety with others is a really, really vital part of the process. Um, it's really scary to. Um, it's really scary to to tune into your own internal yes. experience. Okay if you don't feel safe in the space and safe with the other people, right? You ha- your nervous system wants to be, you know this, right? Your nervous system wants yeah. to be externally focused. That's where 
the threats are coming from at least most of the time. Um, so to do the work that we all really want for ourselves and our kids, this, this work of learning more about our own inner resources, accessing our own uh, bodies, building self-awareness, um, understanding our own emotional and nervous system responses better. All of that means we have to turn the lens inward. Mm -hmm. And it's terrifying to do that if we don't know what's happening, if we don't feel confident about what's happening externally. Yeah, such a good point. And, and thinking about that classroom setting, that specific example was, you know, when they did close their eyes for the three minutes, um, I sort of opened an eye to see if anyone yeah. was having shenanigans. Yeah. And it wasn't. <laughs> There was no shenanigans. It was all just like really deep. Eyes were closed. People felt really safe. Yeah. And you're totally right because if we had done the re if she had done the reverse, which she didn't, she intuitively this was her whole jam. My my role was to sit in the corner with my book and just be mm -hmm. quiet and be an adult present. So I said nothing and I did nothing. I just sat there. But um, I could just feel the energy shift when they did that. But it's exactly right. The first half. They, we, they, Sailor said, this is a safe place. And how are you guys feeling right now? And people express that. And I've been in classrooms where there's not that created. And we start with breathing or eyes closed. And there's just so many eyes open and laughing and giggling and shenanigans because there's not that safety. So yes, you're exactly right is that they're all sort of included and they're all powerful. And I'm just noticing and watching the different dynamics because of this interest. And I also think, I guess I, I really do want to talk about the technology piece yeah. before we have to end for the day. Cause I know I have to get my kids in. Yeah. <laughs> your kids. Um, They're going to have a lot of anxiety if we don't show up. Totally. <laughs> They'll be, where's my mom? Um, so talk about tech. Do yeah. you think that's the main reason for this rise? Um, I think it's a piece of it. Um, I, I, for two reasons. I think that the tech, the biggest problem with tech is the adult tech use. Um, you know, a kid tech use is like a whole conversation. I don't know what it's doing to their brains, but I do know beyond a shadow of a doubt that adult technology use, especially phone use, increases the sense of disconnection in kids. And increased sense of disconnection is a core driver of anxiety. Um, and everything feels hard if you feel like you're in it alone. And if for a kid, if you feel like, you know, you have to be fighting for attention um, and there's something with those grownups that can always pull them away from you, it's, that's a really high bar. Like kids have to be really freaking interesting and engaging for our minds not to, right? And it, it also sets up a situation where when we're distracted, ad adult distraction, um, whether it's with a phone or other things um, means that we miss a lot of our kids' nonverbal clues, right? Mm -hmm. So kids are constantly giving us information about their well-being, about their needs, about their emotional state. They're constantly mm -hmm. giving us information through their body language, through their actions, their eyes, the, the expressions and looks that they're giving us. And when we're distracted, um, especially when we're in technology, which is so consuming, mm. we miss a lot of that nonverbal communication, right? We miss those bids for attention, the bids for affection um, that our kids are, are kind of continuously giving us. And that's a big problem because it means to get connection, they have to seek it out, right? And that sends a, a message to their nervous system, to their mind, about their own self-worth, about um, how deserving they are of connection, um, about what it means to connect with others, about how hard they have to work for it. And for our kids, a like connection, especially to the important grown-ups in their life, um, I think that's a core human right. <laughs> you yeah. know, it, yeah. it sounds dramatic, but you know, it's such a defining part of how they develop their own sense of self um, that when we put our kids in the situation of having to ask for connection, mm -hmm. um, it, it sends them a message about how much they deserve it um, and how reasonable it is to expect it. And I think that's a, a major problem. So I, I do yeah. see technology as a huge problem. I'm not entirely sure if the biggest part of the problem is the kid technology use. Um, I do know, um, I think we all know that 
technology use among kids contributes to overstimulation, yeah. right? So it's like this one-two yeah. punch, right? The adult technology use is, in, is decreasing connection yeah. and the kids' technology use is increasing stimulation um, and the combination is particularly toxic. Yeah. Right? When our kids are overstimulated, it means that their nervous system has to process so much input that it never gets a chance to relax into a sense of safety. Because right? every time we're evaluating input, we're evaluating it for safety. And if the input is always coming in, right, then we never get to that baseline sense of safety in the body. And it's, it's a problem. And then when we feel sort of alone in that, right, we have that stimulation, we get that sort of um, wired and tired by myself yeah. thing going on, yeah. where kids are physically tired, but they're totally overstimulated. They're vibrating at a pretty high frequency. We're so distracted that we don't notice the problem until it's a, either a total breakdown or a massive yeah. behavioral issue. And then it's really, I, I don't want to say it's too late, um, but it, it takes it from something where we could notice a subtle cue and intercede to stop a major problem before it happens um, versus this space where now we have no idea what just happened. We don't really understand the trajectory of it because we were distracted. Yeah. Um, and now there's a high risk that we're meeting the situation with anger or frustration or overwhelm of our own. Yeah. Right. So we miss, it's sad because we, we miss a chance to connect, right? If, if we were less distracted then this rising tide of overstimulation um, could be met with, increased adult attention, right? That pulls the, pulls the overstimulating um, experience into another kind of space, like a let's throw a ball around kind of space, right? That's connecting and soothing. Yeah. But we miss that opportunity. We, we really do have an opportunity when our kids are struggling and suffering um, to replace their suffering with connection, mm -hmm. but not if we're distracted. Yeah, it makes so much sense. And we're facing that, I mean, we're having some real conversations about this at home because we're really lucky that we have learning ally for sailor's dyslexia, which reads her all of the books. And it's a real person oh, wow. reading the real book. So yeah. it's not that automated. That's really yeah. hard to follow. Yeah. Um, so I'm grateful yeah. because it's giving my kiddo access to uh, material that is at her maturity level because yeah. her reading level doesn't match her maturity level. So yeah. I'm super glad. Thanks. The hate you give is on there. So that had, that made her world this year that she could yeah. read that and then yeah. watch it. Um, and she came to me last week and was like, I can't do my school reading on the computer before bed. I, I mean, she's up until 11, 11, 30. She cannot, her brain cannot yeah. relax. So we're in the middle. She said, how about she came up with this so sweet. She was like, I'm going to set the alarm for 6.30 AM and I'm going to get up to do my reading so that I'm caught up, even though I'll be ahead of everybody for the day. Cause there's, it's just really hard to manage the pace that they're going with her mm -hmm. reading stuff. So I'm grateful for the technology, but it also was keeping her up. And she yeah. finally, and the thing is, is that I have to be honest, like I had seen that and mentioned it and she shut that down as like a, you're a dumb mom, no way. Mm -hmm. But then something in her was feeling that exhaustion yeah. and not keeping up. Yeah. And she said, I've got to find another way. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so again, like many things in our life, I'm grateful that we have this technology and we have to work in real time with what's happening in this season with this human to make sure she gets sleep because sleep yeah. is the most important. I said, sleep is way more important than oh, you being on great on this chapter, yeah. you know? Yeah, it really but then it created anxiety that she was going to be behind for the reading group. Yeah, of course. Like, I don't want to be behind in the reading group with my peers who all read so damn fast. Yeah, <laughs> of course, of course. And it's so, there's so many competing things, yeah. right? And there's so much, and you just, I feel like we, I, I feel like really kids should go to school like maybe three days a week. And Girl, okay. I just did an episode of homeschooling. They need less. Um, they need less, but the world, we're at a point yeah. where the world is demanding more and more. And like, you know, I know like in sort of some fantasy land of best case scenario with that situation, 
Like there could be an adult there who says like, I'm going to sit here and read with you. You don't have to be on this picnic. But then we have work and all these other well, things. Well, she doesn't. And because of the pull away that happens in these years, she's not she interested in spending that much close time with me. Mm -hmm. And we were reading it together. And she's like, mom, I just want to go in my room. Like, it's like very cathartic. She like she like cleans while she listens. But she wants that independence. She's mm -hmm. like, I don't want you reading to me like I'm a baby. Yeah. This particular school book, like, so you're again. I know. No answer. I <laughs> Just question. But there's not. But the the. And then I try to remind myself it's not our job to have the answer. Yeah. Right. Like all we can do, all we're supposed to do, is let them know that they're not in it alone. Yeah. Right. And that we think they're awesome and strong. And like we try to get our insides to match what we know we want to tell them. Right. Yeah. So we have to believe it. And, yeah. and that way we're acting it. It's so easy to say and so much harder, of course, to do. Um, but it is the constant reminder for me, whether it's with students, whether it's with my own kids, is like, what is my job? Right. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's not to fix it, it's not to make it perfect. So it's actually stealing something from them if I do, if because I do. the world, they, they need to build that resilience. Yeah. Yeah. But I just, I want them to know like the world is really hard, but I'm always going to be on their side. Yeah. It, it doesn't mean I can make things easier, but like whenever I'm like, am I doing this right? I'm like, does my kid know that I'm on her side? Yes. Does she know yeah. that I believe in her? Does she know that I'm here for her? Does she know that I've got her back if she wants me there? And as long as that stuff is yes, I'm like, all right, it was a good day. Uh, even if it was a hard day, like she, she learned something important that she needed to learn. And it might suck for me. It might suck for her. But, you know, we're playing the long game. Yeah, it's so funny that you say that too, because at the end, that sort of being on the side and lately, now that this has become like a habit, like since the beginning of the school year, she's had this, yeah. um, is that now she'll be, I'll, I'll kind of go in with my book and be like, can I just lay next to you while you listen to your book? And she's like, yes, you can do that. She's like, come on in. So uh, she's like, let me back in because I'm not reading to her. I'm reading my own book and she's listening to her book. And it's like, then we get that physical connection to we're super snuggly mm -hmm. again, but in our own zone. So yes, like that sort of that connection is the most important thing. Um, Jen, thank you, thank you, thank you for everything you do, for all your writing, your yoga service council. I mean, you are out in the world helping person by person. I'll put the links to all your stuff in the show notes. Is there anything else coming up or you want people to make sure to know about or have access to? No, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty easy to find. So if you have any questions, you know, it's, it's just Jennifer at littleflowerioga.com if you want to reach out. But I'm so glad that you're doing this series. I mean, it, it's just, it's almost impossible to find a family and a community yeah. that's not struggling with anxiety right now. And, you know, we've got to We've got to handle this. We've got to be the grown-ups. We've got to be the leaders or, you know, things are just going to get harder and harder for our kids. So um, I'm really glad that you're doing this and it's so good to see you. And I Oh, I good to see you too. And hopefully in real life soon. In real life soon. Yeah. All right. Love you, girl. Thank Take you. care. Bye. Bye, Pleasant.